Welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home, the podcast dedicated to helping pet professionals feel less stress and find more joy in their day-to-day lives. My guest today is Julie Fudge-Smith. She's the owner of A Positive Connection Dog Training, a co-host of Your Family Dog Podcast, and the designer behind Animal-Centric Designs. Welcome, Julie. Thanks for joining me today. Well, thanks, Colleen. I'm really excited to be here. So this is very fun. I feel quite honored to be your guest. I mean, with, considering that the, the caliber of people you have had on here, you're really slumming it today. But uh, <laughs> thank you for having me. It's so all for all those ordinary people out there. That's why Colleen's interviewing me for all your extraordinary people listening to the other podcast. So. <laughs> I think all of my guests are awesome people, regardless of, of what letters go after their name or any of those things. It's all about just real people in real life. And I'm very glad that you are here today. Well, um, thank the, you. The uh, word I chose for you is a tricky one and Mm -hmm. it's grace. And when I was thinking about grace, that's a word that comes up for me often with you. And for me, the connotations that, that arise with it are sort of the um, state of being open and self-aware and having sort of a, a courteous goodwill that, that phrase came up in, in a little bit of my research on this. And a willingness to to dabble in uncertainty, to be comfortable with discomfort. So some of those were some of the aspects that have struck me about your behavior over the years. Because we've known each other many, many years. I don't recall how many years we've known each other now. It's oh well, it goes back to uh, Molly, the um, the the difficult dog that we had. That would have been two thousand two. Okay. 2002, I think, is when I called All About Dogs because I think we put her, I think it was 2003 when we put her down. So, yeah, because you were the person I talked to when I first called about about uh, Molly. So, yeah, it's 2002. So in 17 years, I've had, I've had many opportunities to see you behaving with incredible grace. And so what I would like to start with, if you're comfortable, is just sort of tell me, from from the perspective of one of your hats, owner of a positive connection, co-host of of your family dog, or designer of animal centric designs, what does a tough day look like? What's a hard day? Oh, well, you know it's funny. I, I wake up every day, and I, I probably like most people have an idea of what my perfect day is going to be like. And usually, before my feet hit the ground it's gone off the rails. I just, I've, I've never had that perfect day. But most of the time I have a pretty good day. And a bad day for me is when, if it's, if it's with a client in a positive connection, it's a day when I feel as if I haven't made a real connection with the client that I'm working with, that I haven't been able to explain to them clearly what my objective is with them or to be able to help them understand that I'm working towards their objectives, but there's ways to get there. We can't necessarily go straight at the objective or to feel as if I failed them or the dog that in some way, shape or form, when I have walked away from my session with them, they and their dog are not better off. And I feel those are really hard days for me when I feel as though I haven't made an improvement in somebody's life. And that's when, it's very difficult for me to extend grace to myself to say, 
you tried your best and not every day can go well. But it's when I feel as if I have failed in some way, shape or form that, especially to a client, that I haven't made their life better, that it's hard to find the grace in the day. And when I'm dealing with your family dog, that's mostly pretty much joyful for me. That becomes difficult when I realize, oh my heavens, I am three podcasts behind in my engineering and it's due tomorrow. And <laughs> so those are the days that are difficult for me with, with, with your family dog is when I haven't stayed on top of getting things done the way they need to be done. Because then I find myself beginning to perhaps resent it just a little bit that mm-hmm. I still have to do all this stuff. Now, once I sit down and do it, I generally enjoy it. I enjoy listening to the to the podcast again and and figuring out the engineering aspect of it. But it's getting in my own head and not being able to, I guess, just sort of relax into the moment. Those are tough di- days for me too when I can't just accept the moment for the moment that I have. Yeah. So I would say those are probably the two big things is, is when I can accept the reality of, of where I'm at right now. And when I feel as though I have failed a client in some way, those are tough days. Those are, are really good because they are different and they kind of neatly fit into the burnout and compassion fatigue boxes too. So burnout being so much always about- aim to please, Colleen. Always you do. Aim to please. Look at that <laughs> right there. Burnout is is often about circumstances and tasks and resources and and you know you saying like I have to get all of this done and the deadline is coming up at me. That that's sort of the recipe for burnout. And then compassion fatigue is the emotional drain and the challenges that go with it. And that was where you were talking about your clients. And one of the sticky parts is. Most people who have all of the circumstances, the burnout pieces completely under control are at less risk for compassion fatigue, but Mm -hmm. none of us seem to have all of the circumstances (laughs) under control. We're all, you know, running behind our to-do lists going, wait, I have to get 12 more things done before I can go to sleep. So, so it does right. become the recipe that, that we hit the resentment and we hit the self-criticism and, and have difficulty extending grace to ourselves and sometimes to others because we're depleted. And so that was, that was interesting how that fits so neatly into those two, two blocks. So when you're saying that, like that you would then struggle to show yourself grace, what do you do to try to support yourself in these rougher moments? Well, when it comes to when I feel as though things aren't going well with a client or, or that I haven't made the difference that I wanted to make, I find it useful to talk to another professional, to try and to talk to you, to talk to one of the veterinarians that I know, to find somebody in the business and say, look, this is what I'm facing. Am I missing something here? Is there something else that I need to be? Is there another way in which I need to be looking at this? And that is generally helpful. And also to, to, to realize, do I need to actually be more honest with myself and say, have I put myself into a situation that is beyond my skill set? Mm-hmm. Maybe the reason why I'm not doing as well for my client is because I don't have the capacity to do that. And maybe it's time for me to suggest that they see another professional to aid us in the training. 
whether it's to see their vet to make sure, for example, one of the things I always do, especially if I'm dealing with older dogs that may have sudden behavior changes, is I absolutely insist on a vet visit to make sure that there's no underlying organic physical causes. But oftentimes I'll say, look, we need to be thinking in terms of since we've been trying this and we haven't made this big shift, we need to look at the problem in a different way. And helping having somebody else to talk to about that and to bounce ideas off of, I find to be really helpful. And also too, I do try, (laughs) this is hard. I do try to remember that, you know what? You can't fix everybody and you can't fix everything and you're not going to get along with everyone and you just might not be the right trainer for these people. Those are hard realizations for me and hard ones to take but I'm getting much better at it. I had a phone call the other day, which was really quite odd. And I did say to the woman, she wanted to use a particular kind of training collar. And I said, if you want to use that, I'm not the trainer for you. That's kind of the bottom line. So I'm taking, part of me feels like one of the things I am doing better about taking care of myself is setting limits that I know are good for me. Mm -hmm. Like I will not train with somebody who insists on using electronic collars. I just won't do it anymore. And it may be my obligation to get them to turn away from it, but maybe the best way for me to do that is to say, I won't do that. I'm not the trainer for you because that gets them to ask me questions. So what I'm finding is that in some ways, understanding what my limits are and trying to recognize those and stay within realistic limits for me helps to prevent some of those things. The other thing I try to do is realize that um, sometimes I get caught up in wanting to do what the client wants to do, which is to fix the problem immediately when I understand there's no immediate fix. <laughs> <laughs> and and those are those are hard ones. And those are ones where I, I will generally take the client and we'll take part of the next session and sit down and say, okay, let's talk about the improvements we've made but let's talk about what we're looking at as far as you know serious changes and can you really commit to this? So I find that talking to others, the other thing that I have found as I've gotten older, and I'm getting older all the time, one of the things I found as I get as I get older is I'm much better at being able to 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 take a little bit of a distance and say, that's not right for me, and it's mm-hmm. not right for you, and I need to walk away from this. And, and realize that there's nothing wrong with saying, this is a bad match. Let yeah. me find you a better match. And also, too, when you were talking about, like, you know, the goal setting, one of the things that, that I've learned in, in, like, really in the last couple of years or so, but really put into place in the last six months was goals that are not how do I say, perhaps more open-ended. Like, for example, mm-hmm. I've, I've lost a bunch of weight. And instead of making my goal weight a number, I have a goal, I have a range. So there's a five-pound range. And as long as I reside in that five-pound range, I'm a pretty happy woman. I'd rather be on the lower end of the range than the upper end. I get that. But that makes it, it allows me not to fixate on one particular number, mm-hmm. which would then define me is either success is a successful person or a failure. If I have a range, I have a little bit of a comfort zone. And so when I'm making a to-do list, I try to make a to-do list for the week, not the day. 
So (laughs) because if I make it for the day, there's no way I am ever going to fulfill all of these things because, you know, by golly, things happen like Zuzu wants her walk. You know, crazy. You want to, yeah, crazy dog. You you want to go for your walk. You want to play ball. You want to spend time with me. Come on, I have to vacuum. So to do a to do list for the week is is easier for me. The other thing is to realize is to or to prioritize projects because, for example, I just redid a spare bedroom. Which if you look at the spare bedroom, looks really nice and looks very simple. And like, why would that take you as long as it did? Well, I had to construct the beds, and so the beds have slats there are 32 tabs on each bed that's 64 tabs and I have arthritis in my hands so it took me a little bit longer to get all 64 tabs in <laughs> and um when I put one of the set one of the curtains up it went up the other curtain the curtain rod broke in my hand so I had to go out and buy new curtain rods and so I sort of put that project as first and if I got that done then maybe I might be able to clean the rest of the house. Mm-hmm. So what I found is that it's also been helpful for me to not only put things on that this is what I'm going to do this week, but what's the priority project and to not put a time limit on that priority project because stuff happens like 64 tabs happen mm-hmm. and, you know, window treatments happen and I have to iron the curtains because they came like they were, you know, all balled up and and the bed skirts need ironing. So I had to, you know, budget in an hour's worth of ironing. And so that's been, been helpful to reduce some of the stress by trying to be more realistic in assessing what a goal ought to be. And I think that's how I've been able to sort of give myself a little bit more grace in life because I've been willing to say, I have limits I can't do everything. So what can I do and how can I do it in a way that just like with my training, that's humane and positive towards myself, which was a real lesson for me to learn. I I might have been gracious and positive and accepting of others that didn't necessarily translate back to me. That is so common. So common for people to be really gracious and accepting and wonderful with others and so hard on themselves. It's amazing in the in my coaching calls how many people struggle with that. Yeah. This whole piece of of extending themselves a little bit of grace and a little bit of flexibility. And when you were talking about, you know, the bigger projects, I think that that can be an important piece too because We all have things that we think are important that we're going to do someday. And sometimes it's a matter of allocating some time to it, even though we're not going to hit the finish line right away. But we need to make sure that within every week and all the busy, urgent, but not especially important in terms of our heart work, that we are also adding in a little bit of time for the important, but not necessarily urgent. Like there was no deadline, like the guest room must be done. And yet getting the guest room done was important to you. And so mm-hmm. you needed to not necessarily have this timeline on it, but have time available to, to give to it. And so that could be for, for yes. different people, different things. Like that's where 
that's where all the self-care stuff kind of falls away too, where, you know, walking your dog or playing with your dog or writing a novel, which you happen to be doing or learning to play an instrument or any of these things that are important to people. Sometimes either, either we put a really tight goal on it where, you know, the smart goals and then we don't <laughs> achieve it and then beat ourselves up for them. Or we just say someday when I have time and we don't even do a little. Right. And, and I was going to say, as far as like, one of the things that I have learned as far as writing goes, and, and this would apply to things besides writing, I have a writing buddy and she and I have been writing together for over five years now. And it was, I was writing my blogs, not my, my blogs have suffered a bit, um, but she was working on a novel and I would work on my blogs and we met once a week. We decided that wasn't enough. So we meet two mornings a week and it's on the calendar. Now what happens is like in the next few weeks, like I'm going to go visit my sister and then she's going to Colorado. So there'll be two weeks we won't meet still stays on the calendar so that when she, when I get back and she gets back, we, we resume. So I know one of the things that's so easy to do is to say, Oh, we missed three times. So we're never going to do this. Mm-hmm. No, we decided right up front that it didn't matter how many we missed. It was going to stay on the calendar and we were still going to do it. And we committed to it. And I find that, that having that on the calendar, so I'm committed to it two mornings a week to write, and we do it at a time before either one of us has to get to work. That's been really helpful. And then the second thing is, is to allow the flexibility that if we can't do it for a couple of weeks, doesn't matter. It's still there and it still gets done. And so I have found that that uh, you kind of have to do it both ways. You have to be smart about it and put it on the calendar, treat it as if it's a dentist appointment, but also understand that it's not a dentist appointment, but mm-hmm. it still exists. And so you are committed to it even if you can't make it. And that has been very helpful to me in order to be able to get some of the stuff done that I really wanted to get done. Okay, so when you were talking about you know, having it on the calendar regardless of whether or not you're able to meet that like it is just there that so it can give you this framework for your weeks and for your mindset but then allowing yourself the flexibility of that life happens there are weeks that it will not occur even though you've got it scheduled i think that's a great example of grace of having some flexibility with behavior and recognizing that you're still working toward the ultimate goal even though not every single day is going to hit some benchmark that you would right. you would count as being the good productive day. Yes, and and it's and I think it it, it it the reason it works is not because we fell into it. I think it works because we actively thought about what is it that we want to achieve. You know, what is it that we want? We want to write with one another. Once a week's not enough. Twice a week is better. But we also had both been part of groups that just fell apart because people missed stuff and, oh, well, we absolutely can't do it. And we just very actively decided from the beginning that we are committed to this no matter what. And I think sometimes grace is an active decision. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not just infused into you by the Holy Spirit, although that happens sometimes too. But I think grace has to be an active decision on your part that I'm going to extend this grace to myself. I am going to extend this grace to someone else, even if I don't want to, because it's better for me, it's better for them, and it's better for this world to be kind when I can. 
so that's sort of my philosophy. Now, how often I achieve that, that's really questionable. But um, <laughs> but I, I was just thinking, just I have one one minor example that I, I thought about, but which was where grace was an, another active decision on my part. The other day I was, um, there's this clothing line that I like and it, it, they sell it through home shopping, right? So you have a little party and everybody comes. Well, one woman and I have been combining our parties at her house. She's got this gorgeous house. It's great. It's really set up well for this. And our representative came and she and the other hostess were talking about, they used to work for this organization and they both got pretty much messed over by it. They were treated very unfairly, very unkindly. And for the first time, they kind of both let loose with what happened and their opinion of the CEO of this organization. And I thought, okay, you were messed over. The next day, those of us who were there got an email from the representative saying, I'm really sorry I did this. You know, I had talked about how I had found grace in my life towards this person. And then I said all these things and I feel really bad, felt I went over the line. And I thought to myself, everybody's going to email back. Oh, that's okay. I didn't think anything of it. You're fine. And I thought it took a lot of courage for her to admit this. She deserves more than the perfunctory, it's okay, I didn't mind. So I took the time to compose an email to her saying, I understand what you were saying. I appreciate the fact that this was difficult for you and that you were because having put my own foot in my mouth on numerous occasions, I know how hard it is to admit that one has done that. And to do that was really very gracious of you. And I appreciate the fact that you were willing to admit when you were wrong to us. That said, I didn't think anything of it after I left. And I went on to you know, explain a few other things and saying that, you know, she still means a lot to me and this would not affect me. I know that she was messed over and the fact that you're trying to, you know, show this kind of grace towards others, I thought was really good because I thought she deserved some recognition for making the, you know, having the, for the mea culpa, me saying, you know, I really think I behaved poorly. It's hard to stand up and say, you know, I behaved like a total jerk and really goes against my morals. And I didn't like the way I acted. And so for, for somebody to say that, even if I didn't think that, for me, just just dismiss it as ah, it's fine. This wasn't really fair. Mm-hmm. So I kind of thought, how can I approach this by letting her know that that it, it it didn't really affect me much, but I appreciate what she did. So basically, took a deep breath, asked the Holy Spirit for the right words, and typed the email. And true to form, most of the people said oh, it doesn't matter to me. That was just fine. But many of them were very gracious saying, I'm so, I couldn't agree with, I couldn't have said it better. Julie said it just right. And I agree with her completely. So it it also gave her positive affirmation of this is what, what this person said was what I also wanted to say, which is more than just saying, oh, it's just fine. Yeah. And it's acknowledging her own personal growth and development, which is something that we're all doing all the time. Yeah. And so to to just go like, oh, that was fine, might not have helped her move the needle 
on that uncomfortable moment right. of having having had the the mental realization that how she behaved wasn't how she would choose to behave given more thought and reflection and that by by showing up again and saying I, I would have liked to have made a different choice in the past and I intend to make a different choice in the future you you gave her a way to um, cement that learning in her brain you know you reinforce that whole idea of look at you showing up how you want to show up and not how we want you to show up because we were fine with what you did. Right. We want you to show up how you in t- inside what matters to you, what's important to you. Yeah. And, and that was part of it is I, I didn't want her just to feel as though then, because what can happen sometimes there is if somebody says, Oh, you were just fine. Then you're, then you doubt whether or not your behavior was what you thought it should be. To me, sometimes there's more humiliation and embarrassment from that than from what I did the first time, because it's like, am I making this out to be more than what it should? Am, am, am I, am I sort of reverse grandiose here? Am I, you know, trying to make myself more important than, than what I am by admitting something that wasn't, I shouldn't, I mean, so sometimes it actually makes it worse for me when somebody can't say to me, wow, yeah, I, I really appreciate what you're saying and I understand how you feel. Because yeah, I've done that. I've been there. Actually, then you're right. It helps me to make changes in my behavior. But if somebody just sort of dismisses it, then that sends me into a whole different spiral. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, I already spiraled, spiraled down once. So I'm down here on this this ledge. And what you said is, that means I have to spiral down to the next one because that's exactly where I'm going. I, <laughs> I can't crawl. I can't crawl my way back up or climb the ladder out of this ditch because I have to spend time spiraling down even further because I'm worse of a person than I thought I was, but in a different way. So I'm worse <laughs> of a person than in a way I hadn't even thought of before. It's like, wow, thanks so much for that. So part of it was like, I didn't want her, because I, I know her well enough, didn't want her spiraling down any farther. I also feel like it's, it's so unfair to diminish somebody else's experience, especially if they're trying to do something on personal growth, or they're trying to do something like, I, I was not the person I want to be. And I don't want to make them feel worse, but I also don't want to diminish the feelings that they had in the sense of, yeah, that's, that's real. I understand that. Been there. Because that's where you can then make the real personal growth, as you said, because it's somebody else saying, I get that. Yeah. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm acknowledging it. And it's the acknowledgement of it, I think, is it was what opened this the door for change. So I remember one time I went to confession and the priest said to me, This is a really selfish confession. <laughs> and I was like, Did you want me to confess what my husband's done wrong? Because I'm happy to do that. <laughs> you know, that's what I was thinking. And and what I realized is that. I think what he meant was that I wasn't thinking about how I had hurt others. I was thinking too much in terms of, of how I sort of damaged my relationship with God. And so, yes, he was right. But I also thought, you've missed the point here, dude. This is where <laughs> I'm at right now. Yeah. This is where I think I'm causing the most damage is my relationship with God because of the way that I am doing things. 
this is not helpful. But I'll be happy to confess my husband's sins if that's what you really want. So um, I think it's important to hear what the other person is saying as well. That's the time when I feel as if I'm most successful at being gracious or or using grace with others is when I take the time not to hear what I think they're saying, but to genuinely try and hear what they're saying, what they're Mm -hmm. trying to communicate which may not be what I think they should communicate because I can tell them what I think they ought to communicate and how they ought to feel. And that I also hate that too. You shouldn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. You know, I just want to say really, because you know, you're right. I probably shouldn't, but I got news for you, dude. That's how I do feel. So can we just kind of go from there? Yeah. Really recognizing what's important to that individual in that moment is key. Even if we don't agree with the conclusion or anything, but, but to say, I can see that this is important to you and I'm, I'm happy to be the recipient of you sharing it, not shutting right. it down, not, you know, no, 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 don't feel that way. Or that's ridiculous. Or any of those things <laughs> don't, don't help that person in the moment. No, because that sends me down that other spiral. It's like, turn it. I've hit this ledge. Now, once again, I'm, it's like shoots and ladders, right? I'm going down those shoots. I'm not crawling up any of the ladders. <laughs> So what would you have as, as your tips for pet professionals who would like to develop a little bit more personal grace? Where would you suggest they start? You know what I found has really been, been useful is I listen to people talk to me about their dogs. And they'll say to me, oh, he's really stubborn or like this or like that. And I'm like, mm, gosh, I hear that. But then I usually look at the dog and say, wow, this is really hard for you, isn't it? And by showing compassion to their animal opens up, because then it's not me saying, well, you know, you're wrong. The dog's not being stubborn. You just, you are just really bad at communicating to him what it is he needs to do. Because like that opens a lot of doors, right? Totally. So instead, yeah, because it's just like, let me tell you how you failed. It, which People love that. that. Yeah. Not so much. I, I really <laughs> tried to abandon that tact. <laughs> just hasn't worked for me as well as I would have liked. It's kind of like, you really need to listen to me. So I'm going to tell you how you failed. Mm -mm. So what I have found is that I listen to what they're saying. And I generally say, well, you know, generally I find dogs may not, may or may not be stubborn. I don't think they're generally stubborn. I think sometimes they just don't really understand what we want them to do. And that's part of it. Or they, they might be uncomfortable or maybe they're a little afraid And then I'll look at the animal and say, wow, this is hard for you, isn't it? It's really hard to be you right now. And when I'm actually talking to the animal, and usually the animal goes, yes, thank you. It's just so, it's really hard. And I'm feeding, you know, beef or liver or chicken or kangaroo, whatever. What I find is that one of the ways to be gracious to others is to be compassionate to their animals. And to address the animal directly and say, wow, you're having a hard time. Let's see if we can't help you. And then turn to the owner and say, okay, I, this is how I think he's seeing things. And this is how I would interpret this behavior. So we need to help him be more comfortable. So it's not pointing out their failings so much as it's saying, this is how I see this guy. This is what he's telling me. How can we as a unit help him be comfortable in his world? 
because, you know, sometimes they have done some really bad stuff. Sometimes they, they've really messed their animals up. I can't change what they've done in the past, but I can try to bring them on board as a compassionate sort of partner with their dogs. And that's what I try to bring out. You show compassion for their dogs allows me to be gracious to them. And it gives them a new way to write the story. And because we are such story creatures that if we're writing the story that the dog is being stubborn or resistive or resentful or whatever, and you can help them see a new way to, to interpret the story, that same piece applies to ourselves so Mm -hmm. that when we're busy beating ourselves up, sometimes talking to a friend or getting another perspective can give us another way to, to write the story, to see it, you know, as just one scene in a longer piece and not the judgment and the final culmination. Right. And there's sometimes I have to deliver bad news to these people, you know, that they, they have a dog who is terrified of everything in life. They've had it since a puppy. It met, you know, five people before it was six months of age. And I have to talk to them about what socialization is and isn't and give them the answers. They say, look, this is just for future reference. This is kind of what I'm seeing and why I'm seeing it. And, but I also always try to start with, you know, uh, being gracious towards them. them. If I'm going to show compassion towards their dog, I also try to find a way to show compassion towards them saying, this must be really hard for you. I know how difficult it is to have a barking dog. Nobody likes that. Or, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's really unfortunate that every time somebody turns around, he bites him in the rear end. It's not the way I want it to be either. And that must be really hard for you. It can be very embarrassing. Doesn't have to remain that way. So I, I think a recognition of what their problem is a a compassion towards them and some compassion towards that problem then allows you to open the door to say, this is because they always ask me why, why, why? And it's like, well, 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 Um, (laughs) (laughs) there are a lot of reasons. These might be contributing factors. And I, I hate to tell you this, but think of it as information for the future. So that sometimes I find that, that, that really, and I guess because I've had some unfortunate dogs in my own life and I was dealt with extraordinarily compassionately and kindly and with people who didn't judge me for what I, the the decisions that we ultimately had to make about these two dogs that that is always, always on my mind and always, always behind the way in which I try to talk to others. And I think the other thing is, it's a lot easier to be gracious to somebody if you're humble in your, towards yourself. It's like, I know where you're coming from. I've been there. I've made some really bad mistakes. I've had some really difficult dogs, some of which were not my fault. Some, of, some things of which were my fault. So keep myself humble, not humiliated, humbled, allows me to be much more gracious to others. And I think there's a big difference between being humble. I see humble, being humble or being having humility, not being humiliated, as being right-sized with myself and with my God. 
And if I am right-sized with myself and with others and with my God, then I can be gracious and compassionate to you. If I am feeling humiliated, however, I'm sm- I'm not right-sized. Right. And I, I have a hard time not being obsequious. Mm-hmm. So I try to be the right size, the right amount of humility and try to be humble because I don't know everything. So from the perspective of a pet professional trying to apply this to themselves. So, cause I think we're relatively good with our clients and we all have our moments and our days where we're less good, but for most of us, it's easier to extend some grace toward others than it is toward ourselves. What would be one strategy that you would suggest people try to just extend a little bit more grace personally to themselves? Well, in through your nose and out through your mouth, take three or four deep breaths and then ask yourself, what would I tell my best friend? What would I tell my sister? What would I tell my mother in this situation? Can I say that to myself? Sometimes just honestly having a good cry (laughs) really helps to get all those emotions out. You got to get the stuff out. But if I'm breathing, I find talking to somebody. And I find, if you can, keep a sense of humor about yourself. I just, by the end of the 64 tabs of that bed, I was laughing at myself because I like I had a pair of scissors and I'm like stabbing the tabs to try and get them to go in and realizing, okay, this is probably not the best way, but it's my way and it's the tool I have. Otherwise, I'd have to get up and go get something else and I'm feeling too lazy. And to just try and have a sense of humor about the things that happen is is, is helpful. And if in it, but I and if you can, I mean, meditation is great for calming oneself. If I spend a a fair amount of time each day just sort of trying to quiet myself internally and listen to that tiny voice of reason, which for me is the voice of God, but I think it can be the voice of a lot of different things. It can be just the voice of reason. It can be the voice of, you know, sort of finding your, your inner Zen, but taking the time. Oh, I know. The other thing that suddenly occurred to me after, I don't know, how old am I? 61? I don't know, somewhere around 59 years, is that things don't always have to happen as quickly as I think they are, that I've got more time than I realize. (laughs) You know something? One of the reasons why I love working, doing Find It with a dog where I throw treats and they're snuffling around is because it buys me time. And suddenly realizing, you know what? I can take a deep breath. I can take a moment that in most situations, mm-hmm. two or three seconds is really okay for you to take to center yourself. Yeah. And so just time can really be your friend. And, and time can be very tiny increments. It's kind of like when I quit smoking, it had to, all my sins are coming out now. When I quit smoking, there were times I really wanted a cigarette. And so I would, and it was like, okay. Um, do I need a cigarette today? Yeah, I do. Do I need a cigarette this morning? Yeah, probably. Do I need a cigarette this hour? Could be. Do we need a cigarette this minute? Maybe. How about this second? Can I get through this second without a cigarette? Can I get through the next second without a cigarette? 
And pretty soon, I've got well over 30 years of being smoke-free, second by second. And that also helped recovering alcoholic. Also helped with, with recovery and drinking, although cigarettes were harder for me. So realize that you can boil things down to a second at a time. And another thing is, is, is helpful in being helpful to myself is not every thought I have, although that's hard to believe on this particular podcast, because pretty much every thought I've had, I'm expressing, but not every thought I have has to be expressed. (laughs) And when I stop expressing myself all the time, I don't put myself in situations where I then feel bad about myself, or I feel regret or remorse or whatever. So one of the ways in which I can be the kindest to myself is Take a deep breath, pause for a few seconds. Don't say the first thing that comes to my mind. And that's probably the three ways in which I'm the most gracious to myself. Those are awesome. Those are wonderful tips. So if people want to learn more about you and your work, how could they do that? They can look at my uh, website, which is www.apositiveconnection.com or yourfamilydogpodcast.com. And if you're interested in any of my animal-centric designs, I don't have anything up at the moment, but you can always contact me through a positive connection if you're interested in note cards or we do personalized stuff. I do all kinds of different things with it. So mugs, tea towels, all kinds of things with uh, dog, mostly dogs, but there are some other animals in there as well. So, Well, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about grace. It's been fun catching up with you. It's been really fun. Thank you, Colleen. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. Are you looking for ways to feel better fast and make it last? Do you want more actionable ideas and strategies? Would you like to connect with other amazing pet professionals who care about helping animals and creating healthy, fun work cultures? If so, you are going to love the Unleashed Resilience community. Visit ColleenPilar.com slash community for more information. I can't wait to see you there.